it comes to being in the Scripture. He says, it's interesting that where you are is where you're at. You know, it just seems like uh, what's going on in your life kind of directs how you study and what your what impact what God is saying at that moment, what it, how, how it speaks to you. And as I was trying to decide where to go this morning, um, there's a couple of interesting things that have happened. Carol and I have had a, a, week, a couple of weeks that have just been awesome. We've uh, a couple of family reunions we've gone to, both on her side and our side, my side. Yeah. <laughs> And it's been neat. It's been a blessed couple weekends. And it's been, uh, coming from a family of believers has, I can't tell you how that's impacted my life. It's, it's just, it's been awesome. Uh, I know that I would not be where I am today if it was not for my parents and my uncle and my cousins and my grandparents all being believers. And one of the things that I started thinking about is, is at these reunions was how easy it is to lose track of one another. And all it takes is one generation, one generation to stop participating in family gatherings, to stop, you know, to go their own way. And then the families splinter. You know, and you lose track of one another. And, and most time it's not intentional. A lot of times it's life happens. Life gets in the way. And uh, it's sad. And in my opinion, I think when we do that, it's a disservice to our kids when that happens because they lose their heritage. They lose their lineage of where they're coming from. And anyway, just some thoughts that I've had as I was going on this. And uh, as I begin to think about losing track and how innocently that starts and how it can happen... I got to thinking about that in a spiritual sense. How easy it is to start off following God, being taught to to walk with Him, and uh, keeping Him in the forefront of your life, and how easy it is to allow life to get in the middle of that and to misdirect you. And pretty soon, you know you. I know for me, it means I start uh, spending less time in prayer, less time in God's Word. And it directly affects my family. Because as I'm pulling away from God, I'm not dealing with what happens in life real well. In fact, I start getting pretty bad about it. And then my family suffers from it. So I'm causing a disservice to them when when this happens. And I need to be... I need to keep in the forefront of my mind what God's done for me, how God has got me through the uh, everything that He has. And I need to be passing that on to my children, passing that on to my wife, passing that on to anybody that I can get to listen. You know? <laughs> it's uh, Because it's huge. And I need people to know what God has done for me. Because how can I... If I want you to know God, how can I do that... If I don't have, if I can't tell you what he's done for me, um, and so every time I wreck, as a father or as a husband or even as a friend, every time I recognize something God has done in my life, no matter whether it's huge or small, 
I need to make sure that I tell somebody about that, that I recognize that, that I share it with my kids, share it with people around me, so they too know, hey, wow, something awesome just happened in Joe's life, and it was God that did that, and here's, here's what happened. And so, in, in Scripture, there's many cases where, many places where God tells, especially the Israelites, He says, you know, make a memorial or do something as a, to remind you of what God did for you. And one of the, one of the uh, events that happened, I love this event, is in Joshua chapter 4. And I like this because there's, there's a couple things in this, uh, in this account that happens. God is, uh, there's the, the magnitude of what happens. This is, it's kind of cool. Geez, I wished I could have saw that. The, uh, we're, they're, they're told to do something with this. They're told to make sure your children know about it. And then the third thing is, there's a huge expected impact that this is supposed to happen, supposed to take place. So I'll start with reading. Well, first I want to pray, because I need that. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you and praise you for this morning and this time that you've given us to come into your word. Father God, I pray that everything that I'm about to say will be from you. That anything, Father, that uh, would come of me and would muddy the waters, that you would uh, erase it, that you'd make it go away, Lord. That only your word would be heard. So, Father, we do this to give you praise and glory, Lord, in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's start with reading uh, Joshua 4. Now, at this time, they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan. They've been wandering around now for 40 years out in the desert. And this this is go time. They're going to cross over into the Promised Land. It says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan... The Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from out of here, of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. Just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they had lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. 
For the priest bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to the place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the people so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you fear the Lord your God forever I think now here's why I, I kind of picked this scripture picture this in your head you're standing there on a riverbank and the water stops up and you got an estimated two million people are going to cross across this. They don't even get their feet muddy. It's dry ground when they go across it. This is a huge event, just like the parting of the Red Sea. But man being man, we forget real easy when things happen. It doesn't take long. A generation, basically. It takes about that to forget all these events. You look at look at 9-11. It wasn't even 20 years ago. And we got people that are already forgetting. There's people out there that can't even tell you what the number 343 stands for. If you ask around, 343 firemen lost their lives that day. People don't, they forget. It takes a generation. So he says, take these stones... And make a memorial. And one of the things I thought about this was, so he says, make these stones so that the future generations will come up and they'll say, what does this mean? What, what's it all about? And if you just look at the text, it means, you know, they're, they're saying so that you can tell them, so that you can recount this story to them. But I think, too, it's for us. It's for those that experienced it because we need to remember, too. And so as we're recounting the stories of what God has done, we're reminding ourselves as well. 
But we need it as much as they do. So telling these stories keeps it fresh in our minds, keeps it at the forefront. And we are told time and time again in Scripture that we need to maintain God at the front of our thoughts. That's just one more way to do it. Not only are we remembering and we're passing it on, but we're keeping it right there. It, you know, it's just, I can't, I can't think of a time in my life when I look back where God has not taken care of me. And I think I need to do a much better job of telling my kids about that and telling people around me about it. And you can go back into Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses almost gives them the same speech again. God tells him, he says, if you go to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, this is Moses is talking, uh, has been given God's commandments, God's precepts here. In 6, verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So, everything about God is supposed to be right here. Ready for, for me to tell you about. I need, you know, when, when I, I blow it every time. And there's so many times somebody will ask me about something and I'll say, yeah, you know, this worked out really good. I went and did this. And then a little bit later, it's like, Oh man, I blew it. Because it wasn't me that did that, it was God that did it. And so, and in a sense, not only am I doing a disservice to somebody by claiming that, I'm, I'm also kind of blaspheming God because I'm trying to take His glory when I try to take the credit for it. And I gotta ask myself, so how are we doing? How are we doing teaching this stuff to our kids? How are we doing relating what God has done for each and every one of us, how well are we doing passing that on? And I know for me, I wish I was doing better. I know I've got a lot of room for improvement. Because I've never met a believer yet that hasn't said, I don't, or has said, I don't want my children to know God. Every believer I've ever known has said, I pray my children are saved. I pray my children come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Well, are we helping them? Are we teaching them? Every day, God has entrusted them to our care for at least 18 years. Are we teaching them? Are we helping them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Or are we letting apathy and life get in the way and distract us? Because I'm guilty of that. And I'm really guilty of it. You look at Romans 10, verse 13. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they've not believed? 
And how are they to believe in Him on whom they've not heard? Now some people take this piece of Scripture and say it's wrote for a pastor. Well, it's wrote for every one of us that's a believer. If I want you to believe in Jesus Christ, I need to be telling you about Jesus Christ. And one of the best ways to do this is not only to give Scripture, but I tell you what He's done for me, what He has done in my life. Carol and I, from the time we were married, I can look back on our life and everything we've done, I can see God's hand. In everything. And this is back when I was doing my best to run away from Him. But I can see where God took care of us. Right down to moving to new towns, new jobs, new housing, everything. I can see God's hand in every single thing we've done. And I need to be telling people about that. I need to be sharing that, especially with my children. But I need to share that with everyone around me. Because when it comes to the next generation, if we're not teaching them about God, if we're not sharing Jesus Christ with them, we're doing them a huge disservice. We're we're making it harder on them when we should be trying our best to make it easier. There's people out there that are going to say, well, you know what, it doesn't really matter. If, they're, if, God, if God wants to save them, God will call them. I don't have to do anything. You know, it's a extreme view of predestination. And it's true. If God wants you, He's going to call you. But nowhere in Scripture did God tell us to sit back and coast. He expects us to have an active part in spreading the gospel. We're to have an active part in introducing people around us to Jesus Christ. An active part in this next generation's lives. Acts 1.8 says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that means, when it says, in Jerusalem meaning right here, at home, your immediate surrounding area, your personal sphere of influence. That's where you start. And no better place for you to start than at home with your children. Now, the unfortunate part is, if we fail in what we're doing, and what we're supposed to be doing, there's people out there that are actively trying to do the opposite. They're trying to discount God. They're trying to discount anything that doesn't have to do with the world. There's an atheist. His name is Lawrence Cross. And this is a direct quote from from him. He says, Change is always one generation away. So if we plant the seeds of doubt in our children... Religion will go away in a generation. That's the truth. Mr. Cross, here's what Wikipedia says about Mr. Cross. He's known as an advocate of public understanding of science, of public policy based on sound empirical data, of scientific skepticism, and of science education. 
He works to reduce the influence of what he opines as superstition and religious dogma in popular culture. And he's on the staff, or has been on the staff, of several prestigious universities around the country, and he has a very large following. His mission, he's a professor of physics and uh, any, just anything dealing with science. And his agenda is to eliminate religion in society. And he is working at the universities and he is teaching the next generation. So if we're not teaching this, this next generation, somebody else is. You have two choices. You are either working to expand the kingdom of God or you're working against it. There's no in-between. There's no uh, ready reserve. There's no disabled list. There's nothing. You're not on the sideline. You are either in or you're out. But either way, you are actively participating. And if you're just trying to coast, then you're allowing men like this, people like this, to teach that next generation. You look around us today. Look at our country. This country was founded on biblical principle. God was at the forefront of everything we did, of all the decisions we made. Yeah, we had some imperfect people leading us, but that's because they were men and women. In this side of heaven, we're all imperfect. But at one time, this country stood on biblical principle. Churches were not just a place that we met at to worship. They were a place that we came to for public gatherings. Try doing that in a lot of places today. People will explode. How dare you have that in a church? Men of faith, pastors, they were looked up to. It was a noble profession, a noble calling. And you were a pastor was held to a higher extent, uh, level in the communities. They were sought out for their opinions. Today they're mocked. And the God they serve is mocked even more. So what do we teach today? We teach self-reliance, self-worth. Hey, I got this on my own. I don't need anybody. What I've got is because I went out and got it. I worked hard for that. We don't teach that it was God. God that opened the doors. God that gave me the knowledge. God that made it possible for me to do what I do. I might have been the one that did it. I might have been the vessel that God used. But it was God who did it. And I need to be teaching this to my kids. I need to be teaching this to the children the next generation because if I don't how are they ever going to know this if you go further in the text in Joshua and throughout the Old Testament you'll see it's exactly what Israel did they got caught up in life they got caught up in everything that was going on making their fortunes because they were handed a country just like we were that was pre-made. Everything was there. They didn't have to work for it. 
and they lost sight of that. And next thing you know, within a couple of generations, they're worshiping idols. In fact, I don't even think it took a couple of generations. Next thing you know, they're worshiping idols. They're chasing after things that God had forbid them to do. And they forgot about their God. They forgot about what God and where they're at. They came lazy. So what are we doing? I should be using every milestone that happens in my life. No matter how significant or insignificant that is. I need to be teaching. I need to be sharing that with people around me. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he'll not depart. That doesn't promise you a perfect... Um, Things, you know, so don't don't hear that meaning, okay, if I teach them about God, everything's going to be awesome. Because I'm living proof that it ain't. <laughs> but I am proof of this. I was brought up in a believing home. And for several years, I ran in the opposite direction. But God grabbed a hold of me when I got older. And He says, alright, that's enough of that. You're coming back. Plant it in them. Plant it in them now. Don't allow the seeds of doubt to be planted. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Share it. Get it in them. Now, while you have the time. Because Mr. Krause is out there waiting. If you don't do it, he's going to do it. And remember, in Ephesians, a little bit further, Paul says, hey, you need to remember, we're not fighting a physical fight here. This is spiritual warfare. And if I'm not, if we aren't, preparing this next generation for this fight, they're going into it without the equipment they need. And we know what happens when you try to fight a war without your proper equipment. You're not going to make it. Mr. Krause and his friends are out there. And we need to prepare them to meet him. And remember this, one child, one, taught to fear the Lord, taught to seek the salvation offered by Jesus Christ, could possibly turn the world upside down. Now, some people might say, well, I don't have any kids. Or, hey, my kid's grown up, they're out of the house, I'm off the hook, I'm done. No, you're not. You're not off the hook. See, the cool thing is, look at this, look at this church body right here. Whether we like each other or not, we're a, we're a family. And that's how families work. Alright? <laughs> and every one of us have children in our lives that aren't ours, personal children. We have representatives of the next generation that we're going to come in contact with, whether it's here in church, our work, out in the community, around, we have that next generation that we have the opportunity to be sharing this with, and we need to be doing it. I was reading an article on uh, kind of a couple different websites I like to go to and read different articles on. This one's called collegeandseminary.com. And they interviewed a lady named Kara Powell. She's the executive director of Fuller Youth Institute, and she's a faculty member at Fuller Theological Seminary. 
And she's been involved in youth ministry for over 20 years. And so they asked her, what's the number one reason this new generation walks away from their faith? This is her answer. She says, of all the youth group participation variables we've, we've seen, being involved in the intergenerational worship and relationship was one of the variables most highly correlated to young people's faith. So in other words, while it's great that there are better trained, more called, and more specialized paid and volunteer youth leaders, the downside is the gap between the overall congregation and the youth ministry is growing, which ends up being toxic to young people's faith. As a result, students graduate, and all they know is the youth ministry and the youth leader. They don't know their church. They don't know adults in the church. No wonder they drift away from the church because they feel like they graduated out of it. Really good research indicates that almost half of the young people drift from God and the church after they graduate. And she goes on to say how important it is for adults to be involved in the kids' lives. She says her preferred ratio is five adults to one kid. One on, but if there's just one willing to step up, that's awesome too. <laughs> the point being, we got to be investing in, these, in this next generation. If we're not doing it, Mr. Krause is going to. Here's another quote from churchleaders.com. It says, The statistics are jaw-droppingly horrific. 70% of youth stop attending church when they graduate from high school. And nearly a decade, about half return. Only half. Think about that. There's no easy way to say this. The American evangelical church has lost, is losing, and will almost certainly continue to lose our youth. For all the talk of our great resources, our treasures, and the multi-million dollar Dave and Buster Starbucks knockoffs we build and fill with block walls and wailing rock bands, the church has failed them miserably. That's the truth. We're not passing it on like we should be. But here's something I know. And here's something that wasn't in all those quotes. God's faithful. If you ever focus on anything, focus on the fact that even when we're not, God is faithful. If we'll just be obedient, and if we'll teach, if we'll pass on what we know to those around us. Now we're focusing you know, this morning on the next generation, but this goes to everybody around us. We need to be sharing with everyone everything God has done for us, everything God has done in our lives to make an impact on them. It doesn't mean they're going to be saved. It doesn't mean they'll accept Christ. But it means you did your job. And God says, it's all I ask. Be obedient. He's the faithful one. He's the one that will do the work. And we just got to be obedient. Plant the seeds where we're told to plant them. So the last part of this, here's the part that really struck me. Look around out there, and if we're truly unhappy with the world that we see in the direction it's going, verse 24 of Joshua 4 spelled it out. Here's how you change the world. Teach the next generation. 
they will change the world. If you don't, if you want to change the direction that society is going, then you've got to train the next generation. They're the ones that are going to do it, not you or I. But we can have a significant impact in how that goes on if we're willing to be obedient and faithful and teach the next generation. So again, I ask, how are we doing? Are we doing our job? And finally, last thing I'd like to remind, I'd like to say is, just remember, one generation. That's all it takes. One generation to forget, or one generation to move on.